Okay, let's take our Bibles this morning. And turn to Genesis chapter 32. <clears throat> Genesis 32. And let's just pick it up from verse 9. <clears throat> Excuse me, just to refresh where we were at last week. Genesis 32, verse 9. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, and God of my father Isaac, the Lord which saidest unto me, Return unto thy country, and to thy kindred, and I will deal well with thee. I am not worthy the least of all the mercies, and of all the truth which thou showed unto thy servant. For, which, uh, for with my staff I passed over this Jordan, and now I am become two bands. Deliver me, I pray thee, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he will come and smite me, and the mother with the children. And thou saidst, I will surely do thee good, and make thy seed as the number of the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. And he lodged there that same night, and took of that which came to his hand a present for Esau, his brother. Now let's <coughs> commit our time to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord and Holy Father, we do uh, thank you, Lord, that we can be here uh, this morning, that, Lord, we can come and spend some time uh, gathered around your word. Lord, I pray that this morning you would uh, teach us and instruct us through the passage before us. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would empower me through the Holy Spirit, that you give me wisdom and guidance now as I speak, that it would be your words, it would be your thoughts, and that, Lord, you would be honored and glorified this morning in everything that we do. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Now, of course, we began looking at uh, chapter 32 last Sunday morning, and the chapter began with uh, Jacob uh, turning his eyes, uh, lifting up his eyes, sorry, and seeing the host of God. Remember there in verse 1, it says, And Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, This is God's host, and he called the name of that place uh, Mahal Naim. And so he lifted up his eyes, and he saw the host of God. He met the angels of God. God gave him this wonderful revelation that he was not alone, you know, that his family was not alone. As they entered into the land, the angels of God were with him. They were protecting him, surrounding him. This was God encouraging and preparing his servant for what lay ahead, this meeting with Esau, and indeed any other trial that they would face. And after seeing the angels of God, uh, Jacob then sent forth a delegation to meet with his brother, informing him of his intentions. You know, we saw that Jacob, he had no desire to come and uh, fight with his brother. He had no desire to come and try and assert authority over his brother. He simply wanted peace. He wanted reconciliation. And so he instructed his servants to approach Esau and to call him Lord. Call him Lord to approach him with humility. And the servants, of course, they'd gone forth, but they returned with some distressing news that Esau was actually already on his way. And Esau was coming with 400 men. And we saw Jacob was distressed, he was afraid because of this news. But he did the right thing. He responded by wisely preparing his company uh, for Esau's coming. He did that by splitting them into two groups. And then, of course, he committed the problem to the Lord in prayers. We just read there in verses 9 through 12. And so he's committed this situation to God. He's cried out to God to be faithful 
to his word for God to be once more merciful unto him and his family. And so he committed his fear, the problem at hand, into the hands of the Lord. His trust was in the Lord. And this morning now, after we see that after committing the problem to the Lord, Jacob now sends a gift unto his brother. And so we see firstly here this morning Jacob's gift. In verse 13 it says, And he lodged there that same night, and took of that which came to his hand a present for Esau, his brother, 200 she-goats and 20 he-goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milch camels with their colts, 40 kine, and 10 bulls, 20 she-asses, and 10 foals. And he delivered them into the hand of his servants, every drove by themselves, and said unto his servants, Pass over before me, and put a space betwixt drove and drove. Here we see the, the gift, and it is quite substantial, isn't it? The gift that he gets together now, and he sends unto his brother Esau. In verse 13 to 15 there, we're told that this gift consisted of quite a large amount of livestock. You have 220 goats, 220 sheep, 60 camels, 50 cattle, and 30 donkeys. All up, it's 580 animals. This is quite a large group, isn't it? It's quite a, a large present that he sends to his brother. And you know, this substantial gift speaks of just how much God has blessed him, doesn't it? You know, in that final six years that he was there with Laban, we talked about how God blessed him and God gave him his own cattle, his own sheep, his own herd. And and here we see just how much God has given him. Okay, he takes a part of that, 580, and he gives that to his brother. That shows just how much God has blessed him in those final six years. And so he takes a portion of what God has given him, and he sends it to his brother as a gift. But he doesn't send it to his brother all as one big herd, does he? He breaks it up, and he sends it as individual droves uh, under him. Look there in verse 16. It says, And he delivered them into the hand of his servants, Every drove by themselves, and said unto his servants, Pass over before me, and put a space betwixt drove and drove. And he commanded the foremost, saying, When Esau my brother meeteth thee, and asketh thee, saying, Whose art thou, and whither goest thou, and whose are these before thee? Then thou shalt say, They be thy servant Jacob's. It is a present sent unto my lord Esau. And behold, also he is behind us. And so commanded he the second and the third, and all that followed the drove, saying, On this manner shall ye speak unto Esau when you find him. And so here we see the instructions that he gives to his servants in regards to these, this present, this, these animals that he's giving to his brother. They're to divide the animals into individual droves and they're to put space between each, each group. Okay? And the idea, of course, is that they would each arrive uh, at a different time. Okay? One would arrive and there'd be a little space and the next group would arrive. And it gives Esau time to fully appreciate the gift, doesn't it? Okay, it gives him time to fully appreciate, fully understand the gift that Jacob is sending under him. Okay, if it all came as one big group, oh yeah, that's, that's pretty impressive. But with each group arriving and he has time to assess what's there, it sort of dawns on him his brother's intentions, doesn't it? Okay, that's the idea here. And because there's five species of animals, it seems that there's probably five droves here that he sends forth. Verse 19 makes it clear there's at least three. It says, and so he commanded the second and the third and all that followed the drove, saying, On this money shall speak unto Esau when you find him. And so it makes clear there's at least three groups, but it does suggest that there was more as well. And so Jacob uh, gives these into the hands of his servants, and he tells the servant leading each drove, 
He gives them instructions as to what they are to say. Let's just read those instructions there in verse 17. It says, And he commanded the foremost, saying, When Esau, my brother, meeteth thee, and asketh thee, saying, Whose art thou, and whither goest thou, and whose are these before thee? Then thou shalt say, They be thy servant Jacob's. It is a present sent unto my lord Esau, and behold, also he is behind us. So Jacob tells his servants that when they meet with Esau, they're to tell Esau exactly what this is. It's a gift from his brother. And that Jacob is behind them. He's coming to meet him. And again, we notice that as with the, the delegation that he sent forth earlier in the chapter, Jacob here is careful to make sure that his servants address Esau as Lord. And he makes sure that they refer to him as Esau's servants. You see, once again, Jacob is seeking peace, isn't he? And he's doing everything he can to approach his brother with humility, with meekness. He desires to turn away his brother's wrath. And verse 20 makes it clear that this was his thinking, his intentions. Okay? In verse 20 it says, And say ye moreover, Behold, thy servant Jacob is behind us. For he said, this is what Jacob said in his heart, For he said, I will appease him with the present that goeth before me, and afterward I will see his face, peradventure he will accept of me. And so this is clear. This is his thinking. Okay? He's sending this gift, this present unto his brother to appease him, to turn away his wrath so that when they finally meet, Esau might accept him peacefully. Now at this point, uh, it's, I think it's important to know that some commentators, they, they question Jacob's actions here. You know, as you read through the commentators on this passage, there's quite a few who question his actions and you know, they, they suggest that he's doing the wrong thing here. You know, after all, Jacob has just, in verses 9 through 12, he's just sought the Lord in prayer, hasn't he? You know, he's just committed all to the Lord in prayer. And we, we looked at that prayer last Sunday. It's a wonderful prayer where he comes before the Lord, acknowledges who God is. He, he humbles himself before God and he falls before God and says, Lord, I need your mercy. As you've shown mercy in the past, show it to me once more. And he reminds God of his words to him. And so it's a wonderful prayer. And after making that prayer, straight away we see him now send a gift unto his brother. And so some see this as a lack of faith. Now, one commentator wrote this, You would think that a prayer with that kind of solid theological contents would have brought God's peace to Jacob's heart, but it didn't. And in his restlessness, he decided to act. Another wrote this, As soon as he finished praying, he took up his own strategies again. After all, if Jacob really trusted God, he would have been at the head of the procession to meet Esau, not at the back. This gift is a good example of the way we trust in our ability to do things and make things happen apart from trusting God. So some are very critical here of Jacob, as indeed they're critical all the way through Jacob's life. But they're very critical of him here and his actions. They believe that his actions stem from a lack of faith. And some actually go as far as accusing Jacob here of trying to bribe his brother. Uh, one commentator wrote this, Many people of the world follow the philosophy, every man has a price. The very philosophy Jacob was following as he put together his gift. And so some accuse him of trying to bribe his brother here. But is that really what's happening? Is that what the passage is teaching? Well, personally, as I stated it out, I don't believe that's what's happening at all. I don't believe that's what Jacob is doing. You know, before Jacob prayed, we talked about this last Sunday morning, before he prayed, what did he do? He wisely prepared his company to meet Esau, splitting them into two groups. 
And now after praying, what does he do? He wisely prepares to meet his brother. He's just wisely acting in preparation for this meeting. Now commentator Gill wrote this, Though Jacob had prayed to God, committed himself and family to him, and left all with him, he thought it proper to make use of all uh, prudent means and methods for his safety. God frequently works in and by means made use of. You know, we have to still act, don't we? You know, we commit something to the Lord in prayer, but we still need to act. We don't just sit back and do nothing. You know, Butler writes this, Prayer does not eliminate our work and service. Prayer is not done so we can sit and do nothing while God does it all for us. God never intended for prayer to promote a lack of industry. And that's the point, isn't it? When we pray and commit something to the Lord in prayer, we, we don't just sit back and do nothing. God still expects us to take wise action. God expects us to labor going forward. And who knows, maybe that labor is how God will work in that person's heart or how God will bring our prayer to pass. We have a part to play, don't we? And that's the point here. Jacob doesn't just now sit around and wait for his brother to approach. He doesn't just sit around and wait for God to do the rest. Jacob's committed the problem to the Lord and he's trusting God to work in his brother's hearts, but he still has a part to play and he knows that. There's actions that he could take and so he takes those actions and Jacob is doing this in faith, isn't he? Okay, he's taking these actions in faith that God will work in his brother's heart. Morris writes this, These gifts should not be regarded as a bribe on Jacob's part, but rather an expression of goodwill and conciliation. Giving such a generous present, especially coming in successive waves as it did, would be the best outward gesture Jacob could make toward peace. That's what it is. It's an outward gesture, isn't it? Isn't it? Towards peace. He's showing clearly to his brother his hearts. He's doing his part to show his brother what he desires. And you know there's a New Testament principle supporting what Jacob does here. This is supporting Jacob's actions. Just turn to Romans 12. We've looked at this passage many times, but let's turn over there. Romans 12. <clears throat> Romans 12, verse 17. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For his written vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. As I said, we know this passage well. We've read it before. Even as we're going through Genesis, we've read this passage. But this passage shows us, shows us that in seeking to live peaceably with men, with others... We have a part to play in that, don't we? Okay, we have a part to play in seeking to live peaceably with others. As verse 21 says, we need to seek to overcome evil with good. Overcome evil with good. Isn't that what Jacob's doing here? He's seeking to overcome the evil intentions of his brother with good. He sets about doing his part, what he knows to be godly, what he knows to be right. He does good to his brother seeking to heap coals of fire, as it says here, upon his head, so that Esau's attitude might change. Now, Christ teaches us a similar principle in Matthew 5. <clears throat> Excuse me. Matthew 5, verse 44. <clears throat> verse 43 says, Ye have heard 
that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Now the Lord says that we're to do good to them that hate us. Isn't that what Esau's attitude was towards Jacob the last time he saw him? Hatred. And that's what Jacob's doing here. He's doing good to his brother. You see, when we commit a problem to the Lord in prayer, we still have a part to play. We still have a part to play. God doesn't want us to then just sit around and, and wait for things to happen. He expects us to look into his word and follow the clear leading of his word. There's instructions in God's word as to how we are to react and how we are to, to behave ourselves in, in different situations. And we take God's word and we put it into practice. We take those steps by faith, don't we? Trusting God to take care of that problem we've prayed about, we then walk forward trusting the Lord. Taking those steps doesn't demonstrate a lack of faith. It demonstrates obedience, doesn't it? It's the outworking of faith. And that's what Jacob's doing here. It's the outworking of his faith. And in verse 21, we see that Jacob dispatches these droves, but he then remains behind with his family. Let's just go back there to Genesis 32. <clears throat> Excuse me. Genesis 32, verse 21. It says, So went the present over before him, <clears throat> and himself lodged that night in the company. And so he dispatches now this present unto his brother, but he remains behind with the family, with the rest of the company. And they're camped at this time on, uh, beside the, the Jabok River, okay, a stream that flows west into the Jordan River. And so they're at this time camped on the northern side of the Jabok. Esau is approaching from the south. He's coming from the southern side. And so between them right now is this river, okay, the Jabok River. But during the night, Jacob decides that he's going to move now his entire company, everything that's left, all of his wives, his children, all of the rest of his cattle, everything else, he moves it all across the river now to the southern side. Verse 22. It says, And he rose up that night and took his two wives and his two women servants, and his eleven sons, and passed over the ford Jabok. And he took them and sent them over the brook, and sent over that he had. And so he sends everything he has now across uh, the river, the brook it's called here, to the other side. Now with this action, Jacob is making it clear that he's not intending to run, doesn't he? Makes it clear he's not intending to retreat from his brother. This action once again demonstrates his faith, because he removes the only natural barrier between himself and his brother. He could have stayed on the other side to meet with his brother, but no, he removes that natural barrier, puts everyone across during the night to the southern side where Esau is coming from. And now with his family, his company, all on the other side of the Jabok River, Jacob is alone on the northern side. Verse 24, it says, And, he, <coughs> and Jacob was left alone. Jacob now is alone. Why does he do this? Why does he send his whole family, everything, everyone else across the, the Jabok? And why does he go back and stay here alone? Well, Jacob wanted to spend some time alone with God, didn't he? Spend some time alone in prayer in those final hours before Esau arrived, those last few hours of the nights he wanted to spend with the Lord. To spread, spread his cares once more before God, to spread his fears once more before God in prayer. Jacob wanted some time alone with God. We see that as he's spending this time alone, Jacob now suddenly 
wrestles with a stranger. That's the second point this morning. We see Jacob wrestles with a stranger. Look there in verse 24. It says, and Jacob was left alone, and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. Jacob's now alone on the northern side, as I said, of the Jabok River. He's there alone for the rest of the night. And as he begins to spend this night in prayer, you know, concerning this issue with Esau, he suddenly finds himself wrestling with another man. And what unfolds now in the, the rest of the chapter is one of the most difficult events in the Word of God to understand. It's debated by the commentators with various interpretations given as to exactly what this event is all about. And I spent a lot of time this week reading and trying to understand exactly what is taking place here. There are a couple of things that are clear. The first is that this is a, a, a literal, physical battle that takes place. Okay? It's not a vision. It actually happens. In verse 31, we see that Jacob, he actually feels the after effects of this struggle. He's limping. Okay, afterwards, verse 31, it says, And he passed over Penuel, and the sun rose upon him, and he halted upon his thigh. And so this, this injury that's inflicted during the struggle was a real injury. Okay, it's not a vision. Some commentators do say that. Okay, that's why I'm saying this. It's not a vision. This is not something that just happened you know, in his head that he imagined. This is a real physical struggle. It's also clear to us who Jacob's wrestling with, isn't it? Okay, verse 24, he's called a man, but Jacob himself identifies this one as God. Verse 30, it says, And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I've seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. <clears throat> so Jacob, at the end of it all, he understood exactly who he was wrestling with. He was wrestling with God himself in the form of a man. Hosea calls this one the angel. Okay, in Hosea uh, chapter 12, the thing is, we'll look at it soon. Hosea calls it the angel. And so it's talking about who? The Lord Jesus Christ. It's the angel of the Lord. It's the, the Lord Jesus Christ, pre-incarnate. That's who he's wrestling with, the Son of God. And so these are the two things we know for sure. We know this is an actual physical struggle, and we know who he's wrestling with. It's God himself, pre-incarnate, the Lord Jesus Christ. But what exactly is this struggle all about? What exactly does it mean? Well, this is a night, as I said, that begins with him in prayer, doesn't it? Okay, it begins with him in prayer. And this whole night is Jacob wrestling with God in prayer. Okay, that's how we need to look at this passage. Jacob is wrestling with God in prayer and he's earnestly desiring God to answer him. And at first it's a mental struggle. Okay, we've all been there, praying earnestly about something. It's a mental struggle. But then suddenly this becomes a very real struggle as this man appears and is wrestling with him. And with that in mind, let's consider Jacob's wrestling here with God. Okay, with that as the foundation, let's consider what happens here. You know, when the Lord first appears and wrestles with Jacob, the concern on Jacob's heart and mind is what? Esau. Okay, that's, that's what's on his mind at this time. It's the meeting with his brother. He knows that tomorrow Esau's going to arrive and he's going to face his brother and those 400 men. That's the concern on his heart as this night begins. And he's humbly asking God for deliverance 
for help, just as he had earlier in the chapter, verses 9 to 12. And it's with this concern on his mind that this man, the Lord, suddenly arrives and wrestles with him. And this physical wrestle serves the purpose of changing Jacob's focus. That's what it does. It changes his focus. Morris writes this, He sees ever more clearly that it was not the immediate dangers that should be the burden of his prayers, but rather the accomplishment of God's will for men everywhere. You see, that's what changes during the night. At first, his focus is upon Esau. That's his concern. But by the end of the night, Esau's not even in his mind. All he's now thinking about is God's will for man, for himself and for all men, the blessing of God. This is the change that takes place in his focus. And it takes place as he wrestles with this this stranger, because that's who it is at first, as he wrestles with this stranger until the break of day, refusing to let this one go. And eventually the Lord touches the hollow of his thigh. Just read there verse 24. It says, And Jacob was left alone, and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joints, and he wrestled with him. Now until this point, it doesn't seem that Jacob knows who he's wrestling with. He just knows that someone's interrupted his prayer. Okay? But now, the Lord inflicts this injury upon him, and it becomes exactly clear who it is. Matthew Henry writes this, The angel of the Lord put out Jacob's thigh to show him what he could do, and that it was God he was wrestling with, for no man can disjoint his thigh with a touch. You see, this injury makes Jacob aware that the one he's wrestling with, the one he's holding on to, is far greater than him. This one simply touches his thigh and his whole hip's out of joint. God does this. God is showing Jacob, I'm greater than you, I'm more powerful than you. I could put your, your thigh out of joint with a simple touch. You see, this was none other than God himself. And Jacob now finally realizes that, doesn't he, with this touch. But what does Jacob do when he realizes that it's God? Does he let go? Does he give up? No, he holds on even more. And he refuses to let the Lord go. Verse 26 we read, And he said, Let me go, for the day breaketh. And he said, I will not let thee go, except thou bless me. Jacob refuses to let go. He holds on even tighter. And in verse 26, we see that Jacob's focus has now changed, hasn't it? He's not even worried about Esau anymore. What's he now say to the Lord? He says, Lord, bless me. I won't let you go till you bless me. You see, this is now his concern. And he refuses to let the Lord go until God gives him his full and final assurance of his blessing going forward. Hosea described this wrestling on Jacob's part as involving weeping and supplication. Just go over to Hosea chapter 12. Hosea 12 verse 3 says, He took his brother by the heel in the womb, and by his strength he had power with God. Yea, he had power over the angel and prevailed. He wept and made supplication under him. He found him in Bethel, and there he spake with us. It says that he wept and made supplication. As he's holding on to the Lord, Jacob is earnestly pleading in prayer. 
Earnestly he desires to be the recipient of God's blessings, God's responsibilities. And he seeks it with weeping, with supplication. You see, the struggle with his brother has now faded to insignificance, hasn't it? It's faded from his mind now. He's not even thinking about Esau. Jacob's focus now is solely upon the big picture. That's what he's looking at. The bigger picture before him was, of course, the return to the promised land. It was the establishment of a nation through his descendants. And, of course, it was the coming promised seed, the Messiah, through whom all would be blessed. That's the blessing, isn't it? That's what he's earnestly desiring. That's his focus. The big picture, the blessing of God, the promises of God. That's his earnest desire. He says, Lord, bless me. Give me your assurance of these things. You see, what seemed to be a major problem earlier, the confrontation with Esau, that now doesn't matter at all, does it? That's a, that's a little side concern. The big picture is God's blessing, and that's what Jacob earnestly wants. You see, it didn't really matter what Esau did in the morning. See, even if Esau came now and caused him injury, even if Esau came and caused his family injury, it didn't matter so long as God's will was done. You see that? Before this, his concern is, Lord, deliver me from Esau, deliver me, make peace. And that's still his desire, but now he realizes that doesn't really matter. God, I want your blessing. As long as your will is done, it doesn't matter what Esau does. It doesn't matter as long as God's ultimate plan is fulfilled. You see, Jacob understands and he surrenders all of that, all of these concerns, he gives them over to the Lord. And all he wants from the Lord now is his hand of blessing going forward. He wants God's will to be done. And the Lord responds now by asking his name, doesn't he? And to which Jacob humbly responds and God gives him a new name, Israel. Look at verse 27. And he said unto him, what is thy name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince, thou hast power with God and with men, and hast prevailed. The name given to him at his birth, of course, was Jacob, which means he who grasps the heel. Okay? And it also can mean supplanter, someone who trips up others. And Jacob had certainly done that. He tripped up his brother years earlier. But now the Lord gives him this new name, Israel, which means one who fights victoriously with God. It's also been rendered a prince with God. And we see that definition clearly at the end of verse 28, don't we? It says, For as a prince thou hast power with God and with men, and hast prevailed. God here declares to Jacob, remember Jacob, he's earnestly held on to the Lord and said, Lord, bless me. And God says to him, Jacob, your name now is Israel. And he says, you're a prince. And you have power with God and power with man. You have prevailed and you will prevail. That's what God says to him here. The commentator Gil writes this, he now prevailed with God in prayer and by faith got the blessing. And he had as he had prevailed before with Esau and Laban and got the better of them and so would again of the former, hence some render the word and shall Prevail. That's what God declares to him here. He says, you've prevailed in prayer with me. You've prevailed over man and you will prevail in the future. You see, this name was God's answer to his prayer, wasn't it? It was the answer to all of his prayers. God says, you're Israel. You have power with God and with man. You will prevail by my grace. This is a name of great honor. 
It's a name of great honor. The commentator Morris wrote this, and I think it sums it up perfectly. The name Israel is God's permanent testimony to the character and power of Jacob. A considerably different testimony than has been afforded him by numerous commentators through the years. One is justified in accepting God's testimony rather than man's. I think that sums it all up. As I've studied this passage here, not just this passage, but all of Jacob's life, and realized that God's word is very positive about Jacob, not negative. And this name sums up what God thought about Jacob, doesn't it? Sums it up. His power, his character. Power with God in prayer. Power over man. He has prevailed. He will prevail. Indeed, this name testifies of his power, his character. And Jacob, having now heard this, he asked the stranger his name. Verse 29, it says, And Jacob asked him and said, Tell me, I pray thee, thy name. And he said, Wherefore is it that thou dost ask after my name? And he blessed him there. Jacob asked the question, What's your name? But you know, the truth was he already knew, didn't he? He already knew who it was. Which is why the Lord responds with the rhetorical question. He says, why do you ask my name? He knew that Jacob already knew. You know, Jacob had been earnestly praying to Jehovah, praying to God. And God had answered his prayer. He said, your name is Israel. You have power with God and with man. Jacob knew exactly who it was. He probably wanted a little bit of confirmation, didn't he? Verbal confirmation. And then we're told at the end of verse 29, the Lord blessed him there. It says, and he blessed him there. God blessed Jacob as he'd earnestly desired. And most likely this blessing includes a, a reiteration and a reaffirming of all of the covenant promises. These promises that were centered in his descendants and would culminate in the Messiah coming to earth. God gives the assurance to Jacob here, these promises will be fulfilled, Jacob. They will come to pass. And with that, the Lord departs and Jacob is left on his own. Look in verse 30. It says, And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face and my life is preserved. Jacob realizes just how significant this whole meeting is. Just how unique, how special it is. He calls the name of the place Peniel, the face of God. He says, I've seen God face to face and lived. Of course, that was only possible because God was clothed in the, the form of a man. That he was able to see God's face. This is an experience that Jacob would never forget. You know, to make sure he didn't forget, he now had a constant limp, didn't he? Verse 31, it says, and he passed over uh, Peniel. The sun rose upon him and he halted upon his thigh. Jacob had a constant reminder going forward. A reminder of that night, a reminder of that wrestling with God in prayer. A reminder going forward that he had to rely fully upon God, not himself. God had blessed him. God had declared he would keep his promises and Jacob could rest in that going forward. Now the chapter ends by telling us of the tradition amongst the Jews it says in verse 32, so this is, Moses adds this. It says, therefore, the children of Israel eat not of the sinew which shrank, which is upon the hollow of the thigh unto this day, because, uh, because he touched the hollow of Jacob's thigh in the sinew that shrank. We see the tradition amongst the Jews. The Jews, in remembrance of this occasion, they will not eat 
of this part, the, the hollow of the thigh. You know, with this tradition, they acknowledge the significance of this event, don't they? It's here that their father Jacob received the name by which their whole nation is called, Israel. A name that signifies the fact that God fights for them and with them. And that because of him, they have prevailed, haven't they? They have prevailed time and time again down through history. Israel. Now Jacob, he left this place and he's now fully prepared, isn't he, to meet his brother. As he leaves this meeting, as he returns back over the Jabok River to his family, Jacob is prepared to meet his brother. And more than that, he is prepared to enter the promised land and establish the foundations of the nation of Israel. He knew that he would prevail because God had blessed him. God would see to it that Jacob prevailed. God would see to it that his promises were fulfilled. You know, once more this morning in the life of Jacob, we see an example of a man who in his hour of need took his concerns to the Lord in prayer. He took time alone to wrestle with God, to wrestle earnestly with the Lord. And God didn't disappoint, did he? You know, James 5 verse 16 came to mind. It says, The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. That's what Jacob does here. This is an effectual, fervent prayer. You know, at first he started out praying about the present earthly concerns. But as the night of prayer and struggle wore on, his focus was turned by God to the big picture. The blessing of God, the covenant promises. And the result was that he left this meeting with peace in his heart for all that was ahead knowing that God was in control. And beloved, may we like Jacob wrestle with God in prayer. The effectual fervent prayer of the righteous man availeth much. Let's wrestle with God in prayer. You see, like Jacob, we have power with God, don't we? We have power with God because we can approach Him through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and know that He will hear and answer our prayers. But you know, sometimes like Jacob, we're too focused on the present little concerns, aren't we? Too focused on those tiny little things. And the Lord needs to work in our hearts to turn our attention to the big picture. You see, when we get our eyes off those little concerns, and instead we get our eyes onto Him, we get our focus instead on His will for our life and His will for all mankind to be saved, those little concerns suddenly seem insignificant, don't they? And we will realize that God already has them under control. He already has them under control. Romans 8, 28, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Those little problems are already in his control. So we come, we commit them to the Lord, we leave them there and we focus on him. We focus on the big picture. You see, those present concerns are already taken care of. We just need to understand it by faith. Instead, let us focus on the kingdom of heaven. Let us pray earnestly for his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And with that as the focus of our prayer life, the focus of our concerns, beloved, we will have peace in our hearts as we go forth to do his will. Because we'll know that he is fully in control of all that lays ahead because his hand of blessing is upon us.
Let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you, Lord, for this passage. We thank you for Jacob and his effectual, fervent prayer. And Lord, may you help us all to likewise wrestle with you, come before you, lay our, our burdens before you, but Lord, leave them there with you and turn our attention to your glory, to your hand of blessing upon our life, your will for mankind, your will for us. May that be our focus, may that be our concern. Lord, we pray earnestly that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that souls would be saved. Lord, we thank you so much for who you are. Lord, may you teach us and help us to trust in you. We pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.